What's up, everyone? This is Wes Lyon from McGill and Lyon Dental Advisors. Welcome to the Drilling It Down podcast. More dentists than ever are searching for solid, independent, objective financial advice. On this show, I sit down with my guests to help you see clearly through the fall, providing education as it relates to practice management, tax planning, investing, practice transitions, really any financial topic you can name that's going to help you reach your goals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Drilling It Down. This is Mario Santiago, and I have Tyler Ott with me here as well. How are you doing today, Tyler? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, Mario. I always wanted to be on Between Two Ferns. <laughs> Yeah, we, we joke that the the ferns in the in the screen make us look like that podcast between two ferns, but we'll stick with it. So um, you'll be Zach Galifianakis and I'll be the guest. I like to set up <laughs> like that. I'll I'll take the host role today. No, but we're excited to talk with you today. We have a lot of interesting topics in the newsletter. First and foremost, the ERC, employee retention credit. I know that's something we've talked about a couple of times in the past in our newsletters, Tyler, also in in the webcast. It's pretty hot topic nowadays, right? Yeah. All clients have questions about the ERC. A lot of people have filed them. A lot of them are still wondering if they can file. And, you know, it's good that IRS has given us a little more guidance on on expectations around it now. Yeah. And that's why if people are wondering, you know, we don't just have an ERC column on our newsletter every month. It's just that we do have frequent updates about what's going on. And what's important is that a lot of people have been filing them throughout the past year to specifically now. And and why has that happened? Because there's a lot of promotion regarding the ERC. I mean, we've seen advertisements on, you know, ball games on TV. We've seen them in flyers. Literally, they are everywhere. And a lot of doctors are asking themselves, is this something I should take advantage of? Yeah. And they're getting bad information a lot of the time. The people that are that are doing these ads and making these then making these claims are honestly doing fraudulent <laughs> submissions. And it's it's unfortunate because they're being sold to doctors and other other people as completely legitimate, but really they're kind of bending the rules a lot. And if you have an ERC that's, you know, above 300 to 500,000, you probably mm-hmm. isn't by the book. Yeah. And that's where the IRS is, you know, was approving all of these constantly. And they, I think they, they reached into the billions and now they're, ta- they're saying, they're taking a look at this and saying, hold on, Let's stop processing. Let's actually see what's real. And we might have to start auditing these. So we just want to make sure that everyone's aware that the IRS is taking a stance on it. And you may need to make some changes in the future to make sure that you don't have to pay any penalties. Yeah. And we've long talked about how, you know, not everybody should file for the ERC. The thing is, these promoters that are out there can just be very convincing. I think it's funny because some of the flyers that you see look very sketchy. And I'm surprised some people fall for that stuff. But the other people that are doing it are sometimes the CPAs themselves. And I'm not against the CPA doing the work for the ERC, but I've actually ran into a case where a CPA was charging a contingent fee to do this ERC cut calculation. And just so everybody knows, that's really not by the book and it's not allowed. CPA should really be charging flat fees. So everybody wants a little money from the pot and 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 I, we always say, if it's too good to be true, if it sounds like you're getting a ton of money, you probably don't qualify for all that money that's coming from the ERC. Yeah, you're going to definitely qualify for less. And the contingent fee is definitely where you get in trouble because let's say you do need to pay it back. Well, you need to pay back the full amount and you've already given away some of that some of that credit to the people that filed it for you. You may end up having to pay back money you don't have. Yeah, um, and sometimes these groups, you can't find them anymore after yeah. you gave them their money and they run away. 
<laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's they they sell it on on telling you that it's that it's completely illegal, but it's important to understand there's really two main qualifying factors is if you had a significant decline compared to 2019, either in 2020 or 2021, or if there was a government order. And government order is the big one. It's truly understanding what a government order is. IRS put out guidance on that. There had to be a shutdown requirement that you couldn't, you know, keep practicing. And they've been kind of making up excuses on on what kind of qualifies. And now it's time to realize that maybe the what what you submitted wasn't wasn't fully above board, and you may need to make sure that you have some money on hand to pay back pay back a credit if it's if it's audited. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of these promoters are getting creative. You know, maybe if you don't meet that gross receipts test, they're trying to figure out how do we meet that government order test. And we've heard all sorts of reasonings and excuses. I mean, I heard the other day that you know people had to put on a mask. So that was a government shutdown. And that's really not it. And that's why the IRS is coming out with a little bit more clear guidance on, hey, these are the tests that you need to meet. Now, if you're worrying about getting audited, we talked a little bit about in the article, but basically if you meet the test in a legitimate way, if you talk to your CPA, if if what you think you received is legitimate, then I wouldn't really be that worried. Mm-hmm. I'd really be more worried if we took the full credit for every single employee and we took this more lenient approach of a government shutdown. Yeah, and if if you're in that boat, you kind of got two options. You can kind of play the 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 audit lottery and hope you just never get audited, or you can make sure that you have some cash on hand if if the IRS comes knocking. The IRS doesn't have steps out yet on on what they expect and how to resolve all this, but we'll make sure to keep you updated once they release them. Yeah, absolutely, but We did want to focus today, shifting gears a little bit here. We talked about how the ERC in certain situations can be a little bit aggressive, but let's talk about some things that we can do. I think it's very funny. We get a lot of calls towards the end of the year. I think a lot of calls before Thanksgiving, people just really want to do their tax planning and get their things in order so they don't have to wait until the end of the year. But Tyler, what are some things that are listeners can really do before the end of the year tax planning wise. Yeah. Biggest tax planning items, best way to save taxes before year end, big time crunch one is Augusta rule. That's one of the biggest ones. And this is available to you if you are not a sole proprietor and you essentially have two tax returns. You have a tax return for your for your practice and you have a tax return individually. And those are the kind of entities that can take advantage of the Augusta rule. I know we've mentioned it a lot in our newsletter, but it's a great strategy to take advantage of. Yeah. And, what, and what's important for that one is, and the reason we're saying we really need to do it before the end of the year is you can't really write a check in 2024 for something in 2023. So you want to make sure that the payment of that check matches the year and make sure you take advantage of that. Yeah. The key with the Augusta rule, there's just three big ones. You know, you had your business events and you rented your house out for 14 days or less. So, you know, you had your, your patient appreciation, staff appreciation, business meetings, you have your business purpose and you don't rent it out for 14 days. You have your reasonable rental rate. So if you're in a vacation area, you maybe look at the Airbnb, VRBO rates. If you're not, maybe the, the steakhouse in town has a private room that has a minimum that's required, kind of give you your reasonable rental rate. And then you have to write a check from your corporate or from your practice to you personally. And that's mm-hmm. key. And now if you haven't been writing your checks all year, uh, we just want to make sure you have your documentation for the dates. And documentation is maybe what the business purpose was, who was there. If you have any photographs of the events with your staff or your patients, just to kind of show what's going on. These are all legitimate business expenses, and we just want to make sure we have the documentation for it in case that IRS comes knocking. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to clarify for anyone who hasn't heard of the Augusta rule, you know, if you haven't been reading the newsletter or listening to the 
to the webcast. It's really renting your personal home to the practice for the business use of that home, right? And if you think about it in any other business, they probably have to rent out a space, rent out a stake house or whatever it is to either have business meetings or have staff over. So that's a great one that you can do. And we'll talk about staff compensation later, but if we're thinking about ways to give money to the staff, that's another one that we can do. We can rent out their homes or something of the sort. Now, it's also common title that people come to us and they're looking for other ways to write off things. And it's funny, we've heard so much advice in the past of you need to buy all this equipment before the end of the year, or you need to buy this car before the end of the year. And not necessarily always the best advice. Yeah. You don't need, if if you absolutely need an equipment or you need a new car, we'll give, that's a great, I mean, it's a good expense. You'll be able to write it off through the mm-hmm. practice, but if you don't need it and you're just spending a dollar to save 40 cents, that's not going to be in your best, in your best interest, really. Exactly. And I think it's very human. I mean, some people want that Tesla before the end of the year, and they're just trying to justify why, why they should run it through the business. Now, if it is something you're planning to get in the next year, let's say, then yeah, it absolutely makes sense to get some equipment or or get the car if it makes sense, if it fits into your cash flow. So that's another one to take advantage of. But any other big ones, Tyler? You know, a big one would be maybe considering profit sharing. You, if you have a 401k retirement plan with profit sharing at the year end, you have your TPA run numbers for you. You take a look at what profit sharing is, if it makes sense, if staff costs are reasonable. You know, that's a chunk of change that goes into retirement planning is fully tax deductible. That's a big, that's a yeah. big tax savings for sure. No, that's a great one. And we do have a list of the top 50 year end tax planning items on our website. Tyler and I love this stuff. We'd love to talk to you about it for four hours a year and talk about the little bitty details that we can do, but there's a ton of different ones. Make sure you check out that article in more detail to to make sure that you're doing all the tax items you can before the year, the end of the year. And then in here, we got our top six. So these ones are highlights and then the 50 are uh, more comprehensive to say the least. Absolutely. No, perfect. And I wanted to talk about practice transitions a little bit here and really considering seller financing a practice. Now, historically, we talked about this and, you know, if it were between you and me, Tyler, and you were selling me something or I was selling you something, I think we'd both probably want the money. Want that cash up front. Cash up front, yeah. right? Because I don't trust you, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen <laughs> I've seen your dental work. So <laughs> I don't want you do, being a dentist. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and historically, I mean, interest rates on these practices were more favorable. Yeah. Right. Maybe three to five so percent. Buyers could get that financing a lot easier. Everything is done on cash flow. So what it comes down to is is being able to cash flow the debt payment and cover all your other expenses. And you know, with higher interest rates, that debt payment's a lot more expensive and that mm-hmm. impacts cash flow a lot. Yep. So, you know, seller financing may be needed in some cases. It's 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 a case by case basis, situation by situation, practice by practice, sale by sale basis. And it's just something that some some sellers and buyers have looked into just due to the higher interest rates, higher monthly payments due to, yeah. due to the due to the increase. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, generally speaking, also, if we sell a practice and we don't sell or finance it, we're going to get all that cash payment on the front end, right? Mm-hmm. So even from a tax planning standpoint, it could be beneficial to, if you're spreading out those payments, let's say over seven years, there's actually up a certain limit where you don't have to pay a high capital gains percentage, actually zero. So it might save you some money in the long run, but like you're saying, it depends on your specific situation. We want to make sure that it works for you. But I'm thinking of one example, Tyler, and this happens in maybe family transactions where people just do a handshake deal and they yep. don't really get a professional to do the deal, but had this father basically structure the deal with his son, 
in a seller finance note. Now, this is the one example where they didn't do it right because they just didn't value the practice. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that cash flow like you were saying. So, you know, the younger doctor was really struggling to make ends meet because the value of the practice didn't match the loan payment that he was making. So it really depends on your situation and, and make sure you assess this. But with interest rates where they are, I personally think, you know, sure, we talked about we'd rather get the cash up front, but it's if it's the difference between getting the deal done and not getting the deal done, then it's definitely something that people should consider. Yeah. And on top of that, sometimes it it allows you to get a higher purchase price for, for the practice. The bank's willing to finance some amount. You seller finance the other amount. Mm -hmm. You get the full amount of the practice. Obviously, with seller financing, there's added risk on the seller. You know, the practice does need to, the, the buyer needs to have the money to pay you. And mm -hmm. so you can, you know, work out ways. Maybe you work back, make sure that the new buyer is able to produce and collect what they need to do as a way to mitigate that. But it's just really kind of the moral of the story, case by case, and maybe something you look into, but just want to be aware yep. that that's an option down the line. No, absolutely. And Shifting gears here a little bit, we want to talk a little bit about investments. One of the things we always tell doctors is, do we know what we're paying for, right? If you have a financial advisor, if you have an investment advisor, what are they providing for you? Ideally, it's really fee-only advice that's really not tied to commissions or mm -hmm. products, right? And one of the things we're talking about in this article in the newsletter is really when we have money in a 401k or in a practice 401k, we need to abide by some rules and yep. financial advisors need to abide by some rules in terms of which investments to make and things like that. The thing is when you shut down your 401k or maybe sometimes people leave a company and they want to roll over that money from the 401k to an RA, those rules might change. And that's mm -hmm. where a lot of these doctors and a lot of the doctors we see get sold a bunch of different products that really aren't beneficial for them. Yep. And it comes down to requirements surrounding fiduciary duty. And that means just acting in the best interest of the client. And for a lot of these accounts, IRA specifically, they aren't required to necessar ne necessarily operate in your best interest. And they may off and they may recommend products that have higher fees, you know, lower returns, give them more of a benefit, more of an more of a more of a payment by having you invested in them. Mm -hmm. So the the government is is they have a little bill in place that that may put a little more restrictions and requirements around it but probably not enough what it comes down to is you just want to make sure that your your financial advisor is a certified financial planner so all certified financial planners have fiduciary duty at all times for their clients and they work at a registered in, investment advisory firm an IRA or RIA mm -hmm. and definitely as as Mario mentioned earlier wanted to be fee only and not fee based so that they're really the fee is is known and there's no commissions on the back end. Yeah, and I think it comes back to understanding what it is you're paying for, right yeah. Tyler? I mean, I had a client not that long ago and I had a significant amount of money saved up, but when you really looked at the portfolio, it was this one advisor who had millions and millions of assets under his management. Now, when you ask the clients, they really had no clue what they were invested in. It was a mixture of whole life products, uh, annuities, indexed variable annuities, I always, there's so many names for these things. It's yeah. like ice cream flavors. It's hard to keep a track of. But when we really started digging into the numbers, we couldn't figure out how much these clients were paying for the services of this advisor. We had no clue how much was going out in commissions. And every time we asked the advisor, it was extremely difficult to figure out what's going on. That transparency wasn't there. And finally, after making some estimates and some calculations, we figured out they were probably paying north of 100000 probably every year to this advisor because it's all being eaten up in fees and all these yeah. products. 
And they really didn't get the return that a low cost portfolio, even in an index fund, would have gone over that time period. Yeah, we really like it simple and sweet. 60 mm-hmm. 40 stock bond portfolio, low cost funds is really going to be your best option there. If you can't, if you don't know what you're investing, if you can't figure out what you're investing in, or if your advisor can't give you a good explanation of what you're investing in, those are a few red flags. Yep. And, you know, we, you know, in the, in the joke of, of it all, we can't give you advice here. So whether it is 80 20, 60 40, or whatever it is, make sure you're assessing that decision yourself. Make sure you're investing in low cost products and make sure that you know, transparency-wise, what your advisor is doing for you. Today's episode is brought to you by the McGill Advisor. The McGill Advisor is your resource to reaching your financial goals faster with greater confidence and less stress. Members will receive our monthly newsletter delivered to their door, containing all the latest and greatest tips as it relates to taxes, practice management, and achieving financial independence. Membership also includes access to our online portal, including archived articles, webinars with available CE credits, discounts on educational seminars, and much more. Use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your first year subscription. Perfect. And there is one more article. It's online only. We, we won't cover here today too much, but if you're looking to give to charity in a tax efficient manner, make sure you're reading that article. I know that's really a big goal for a lot of people. And it's a great way to maybe cut the government out of the middle and give to charity more more efficiently. Yeah. If you want a little information on donor advised funds or qualified charitable distributions, that's the article for you. It's a good one. Perfect. And then the next one we really want to talk about is increasing patient satisfaction at the practice. Now, We'll get into this a little bit later about how to increase maybe labor efficiency of the practice, improve processes. But just from a patient satisfaction standpoint, a lot of doctors are coming in and they're wondering, what can we do to make that patient experience a 10 out of 10? And we've constantly been talking about this, especially as people maybe drop insurances. Maybe they're trying to go fee for service. Maybe they're just trying to increase the collections at the practice. But one of the big tedious things we always hear people talking about is the collecting of payment, mm-hmm. all that processing from the back office point. And let me tell you, as patients, we don't love it as much either. You know, we kind of just want to walk in and get our procedure done, have a clear understanding of probably what we're going to pay. But yeah. I don't really want to be bothered after the appointment about small amounts that I owe and things like that. How can we really fix that, Tyler? Yeah. So. Wes Lyon actually wrote this article as a personal experience of himself, and he actually went through that same that same issue. And so there's there's a lot of options out there, a lot of them technology based. Mm-hmm. You know, payment payment processing. Big one is Best Card Team, uh, endorsed by the ADA. They automate payments. They integrate with dental software. They store credit cards on file, so you're able to easily charge. So if you read the read the article, Wes had one dentist that you know took took his payment and you know, didn't keep his card on file. They had ended up texting him saying he needed to pay about $7 more. He had to come into the office, <laughs> give him a credit card and pay that way. Went to his periodontist. Periodontist has everything streamlined. Got a text that said, hey, you owe three bucks. You want us to charge a car on file? Loved it. He's He glows. He's glowing reviews about his periodontist and how good the patient experience is there. And that's really the big thing. Patient experience is huge now. It's a great way to separate yourself from the competition. You know, people are realizing that not all dentists, not all practices are the same. And yep. the better the patient experience at the practice, the more likely your patients are going to be happy, more likely there's referrals, more likely accepting of changes as well. Yeah. yeah. And while, you know, we love dentists, they're our clients. While we'd love to continue going to the offices, 
I just don't know if that's the case. If we really want to go back to just make a payment real quick, right? We just want to stick to our our, our cleanings, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually have I I have a personal experience of this exact thing. I I was at a dentist for for thirty years before I moved to moved to North Carolina. They never kept my card on file. I you know I was realizing it, and they I went there for thirty years. They didn't have my information. They kept asking me, "Yeah, you want to pay over the phone?" Be like. You, I give this to you every single time I'm here, you know? <laughs> so if they, if they took that a little advice that we just went over, I think that would yeah. make my, make me a little happier next time. And I think the hesitation to Tyler is like a lot of dentists don't want to have the card themselves. Yeah. And that's what a system like best card team does is they store the card. So you don't actually get to see the credit card number. Your staff doesn't get to see the credit card number that really prevents any fraudulent transactions that you practice. But it's stored there. So you can just ask the patient, Hey, can we charge the same card that we charged last time? Yeah. Seven bucks, whatever it is done. And I think not just from a patient standpoint, let's bring it back to now the back office, right? Or Mm -hmm. the front desk is frees up some time, you know, less, less staff costs, front desk, actually, you know, interacting with the patients, not dealing with payments, improving patient experience Mm -hmm. on that end, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure they're more efficient. Less duties that they that they have, the more available to improve the improve the practice. Yeah, and if a patient is leaving and they're taking five or ten minutes to figure out payment, that could be some valuable time that maybe the patient that was coming in they could have been you know greeted better or something of the sort of the practice. And just in terms of automation, it's just something to keep in mind, especially with staffing how things are going. There's not a day where I don't pick up the phone and there's some sort of staffing problem. I mean, I had a practice the other day that literally last lost almost all of their staff members. I think they had maybe one left. And it's just people want more. People want the work-life balance. People want the remote work, yeah. right? People want to wake up in their pajamas and, and you know, cook some breakfast as they're, <laughs> as they're working. And that's just not the case in a dental office, as a lot of you know. I mean, especially after COVID, dentists had to go back in there and start working. But it's really a way to safeguard your practice against people leaving constantly, mm-hmm. right? If you can automate some things, yeah, there's technologies out there for a lot of these, a lot of these responsibilities in the office, and if you just want to make sure you're aware of them, payment processing is one, insurance is another, mm-hmm. marketing. There's so many things that can be taken care of by people that aren't in the office mm-hmm. for more reasonable price in some in some instances with the staff costs out there. So yeah. just know that there are options out there for for all the all of your different issues that may be able to make your practice more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And we've we've always connected this to the corporate group sometimes too. They use this as a great selling tactic. And once again, we're not for or against you selling to corporate, but one of the biggest selling tactics is, hey, we're going to do the HR, we're going to do the admin, we're going to do the marketing, whatever it is. You can still outsource that stuff, right? You can outsource it to someone else and focus on doing dentistry in the practice and have your staff focus on that patient experience, like we were saying. Yeah, patient experience is going to be the biggest impact profitability. You get you get a ten out of ten patient experience. You're going to be mm-hmm. doing pretty well for yourself. Yep, absolutely. And in connection with that, what are some other things that we can do to the staff? Let's talk about in terms of pay raises. We get a lot of questions: Should we raise their pay? Should we give bonuses? Any thoughts on that, Tyler? Yeah. So when giving raises this year, we want to think about what inflation was in past year. I know inflation was big in the past few years. I think we were around, you know, eight, nine percent inflation. You know, it has died down a little bit. I think the last 12 months was around three percent. So if you're looking at raise rate raises, we 
recommend, you know, three to 4% range, make sure that their inflation are above there. Yeah. And generally speaking, it's probably a good idea to really assess this employee by employee, right? We don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to give a 4% flat raise for everybody, because I think what that happens after that is you have the employees who maybe are the slackers and they know they're going to get their 4% no matter what. And then you have your all-star employees get also get 4%. They might resent the other employees yeah. for getting that same compensation. We're big fans of merit-based, merit-based yeah. bonuses, merit-based raises where you're paying your all-stars. And if you have some, you know, low hanging staff, it may be a sign that, that they need to look elsewhere and mm-hmm. you're, you, you have your all-stars put on more responsibility yeah. and then they deserve the 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 bonus in the race. Yeah. And I think that's super important nowadays. It's we don't really want to cheap out on the staff compensation, right? Mm-hmm. If our numbers are in line, and this is something we got to make sure we're taking a look at, where's our clerical wages? Where's our clinical wages? Are they in line with where they should be for our specific specialty, whether it is ortho, general, perio, you name it. And if we are below and we're not really compensating our staff like we should, we really should try to bring that up because you're going to lose a lot more money if you lose that staff member. And yeah. now you have to figure out who to find and what to do. And you really want to make sure you keep them happy because it's just funny. Back in the day, it used to be you're interviewing the staff member to see what they can provide for you. And now they're coming in and they're interviewing you and see what you can provide for them. So the tables have turned a little bit and we got to make sure we stay competitive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of our things with, with staff costs, our, one of our big things that we say is it's really not how much you pay them. We, we want you paying your valued employees. Biggest issue we see is when it's too many bodies, too many staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where they, we get the biggest issue. But you know, if you, if you're, if your all star is asking for a little more dollars per hour, dollar an hour, we have no issue with paying them because yeah. replacing one of your highest productive employees or best employees is going to cost way more mm-hmm. than that, than that raise. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing we can talk about here, Tyler, if, if we're looking for ways to give some money to the staff, that's going to be both tax advantageous for them and tax advantageous for you, the owner, mm-hmm. there are some things you can do. We talked about the Augusta rule, right? Yep. You know, if, if you had any staff members over at one of your staff's homes, it's something we could write a rent check for if we were doing a uniform allowance yeah. or something of the sort. It, Child dependent care reimbursement, yep. and all different options. There's a lot of tax deductible benefits, yeah. tax free benefits that you can that you can offer. I think you took advantage of that one, right, yeah. Todd? Uh, <laughs> Wes has offered it. I haven't gone through with it. I think. Yeah, I think my my wife took advantage of it at her practice, though, her, <laughs> at her office. So I'll, I'll have to look into it. Yeah, see if, see if it applies for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's definitely things you can do. It was funny. I was speaking this summer in Austin at one of our seminars, and usually we glance over the whole tax advantageous bonus part. We talk about it for like two minutes, and had this doctor raise her hand, and she said, "No, I I really want to talk about this." And then I had <laughs> another one doctor raise her hand and said, "I really want to talk about this too." We end up spending 30 minutes just on the on this topic. So it, it, you can tell that it's really on people's minds is how can we get more money to our staff? The other one is really the retirement plan, right? And we've talked about it. There's ways to make sure that the retirement plan works for you and works for the staff. It doesn't have to be a, a win-lose situation, right? It can be yeah. a win-win. The issue with the staff, though, is a lot of staff only cares about that hourly wage. Yeah, that's true. And it's important to help to make sure that they understand all the benefits that you're giving them. And one of the ways to do that is have, you know, annual meetings where you give them a total pay statement. Mm -hmm. It shows all their wages, all the benefits you provide, whether that's health insurance, PTO, you know, reimbursement for uniforms, reimbursement for, for CE, whatever it is, 
you're able to put it on paper how much they truly earn retirement contributions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a big way to kind of open their eyes and how much you do provide for them. Yeah, um, no, that's a that's an absolutely great idea just to show what they are getting paid. And then the other one we get, lastly, the one we get questions about is medical benefits. So mm -hmm. generally speaking, I personally think it's it's pretty rare to see a practice providing full medical benefits to the staff because it can get costly yeah. and it's getting a lot more costly. But there's other ways. If you want to check out in, in our in our newsletters prior to this one, we've talked about different things we can do. We can do a health reimbursement arrangement to help pay for any premiums for insurance or any medical costs. Mm -hmm. There's different things that you can do in your practice before you pull the trigger and, and offer everybody health insurance. Mm -hmm. And when when getting health insurance, we always want to make sure you're aware of the high deductible health plan that qualifies for an HSA. Reason we love that. Triple tax free, get tax deductions on the contributions going in, gross tax free, comes out tax free for qualified medical expenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, high deductible health plans aren't for everybody, but they are for some. You may need to do a little math around it, but generally it's it works. It's in your yeah. best favor if you're either on the high end expenses or yep. low end of expenses. Yeah. No, absolutely. And if you want to learn more about all those different things we talked today, make sure you read this month's newsletter, really talks about all these things in a little bit more detail in that online article as well. And just to wrap it up here, Tyler, I know it is, we're approaching Christmas season. It is gifting season. So mm -hmm. if you're a member of the newsletter and you'd like to gift it to any referring doctors, to any dental colleagues, you think they would benefit from it, uh, please give us a call. You can provide the newsletter as a gift to those doctors if you want to make sure they're keeping up to date with all the tax planning and, and dental items as well. Yeah. So gifting season and bulking season are so <laughs> I guess. You know, we're in the bulking phase right now. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure you give that good gift to your referring doctors. And the other thing is, I know a lot of the things we talked about today are very retirement focused. If you are in a period of your life where you are thinking about retirement in the near future, we are doing one of our seminars in Colorado mm -hmm. this summer, June 6th through the 8th. And that seminar is really going to be focused on retirement topics. So if you really want to take a deeper dive, usually the seminars are longer, multi-day events, but also they're fun. So we try to pick some good locations. So if you're interested in that, feel free to call us and um, ask about any more information regarding that. But it's great getting on here today. It was great having you, Tyler. And Thanks for having me. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys in the next episode. This wraps up another episode of Drilling It Down. We look forward to seeing you for the next episode. In the meantime, make sure to visit our website, mcgilladvisory.com. And if you aren't a current subscriber, subscribe to our newsletter. Use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your initial subscription.